Welcome to episode six of Conversations with the Code 9 Foundation. In this episode, we are joined by outgoing Victoria Police Chief Commissioner Graham Ashton. Graham, thank you so much for joining us in this episode. Oh, well, it's nice to be with you, Erin, some uh, very important topics that. Uh that you cover in Code 9, obviously, so happy to be with you to talk about them. Fantastic. Now, listen, Graham. before I do each podcast, I do a little bit of background research on the person that will be joining us for the chat. And listeners, I have to admit that during the reconnaissance that I did for this particular podcast, I stumbled across the fact that Graham is indeed a member of a secret highly organised group whose members wear black uniforms and headgear and have their own secret signals, logos, rituals and equipment that they use in a bit of a quest for nationwide dominance. Um, And I guess I can reveal, if that's all right, Graham, that our guest is actually a member of a very feared club called the Brisket Boys. Now, is that actually correct, Graham? It's a, uh, you've put it in a very uh, toxic way, but uh, very sinister, but uh, yes, it's a barbecue team actually, and they're called the Brisket Boys barbecue team, and uh, yeah, we do, uh, we're right into barbecue, we go to competitions and uh, compete against other teams, it's a very fast growing area, but it's uh, it's been long been a passion of mine, and I've sort of gotten more seriously into it in the last couple of years as being part of this team, uh, and it's been a, a really great outlet for me. Um, to focus on uh, other than the police work so it's been it's been uh, a real chance to uh, you know to have a passion outside of the policing and i think that's so important isn't it and i think that's the that's the part of what you know leading into this whole conversation that we're going to to talk about today in terms of mental health and the importance of self care is that it's so important to have something outside of work isn't it oh yeah i mean everyone's different uh, everyone has different uh, ways of uh, you know, dealing with um, uh, the pressures of uh, work and daily life. Uh, so some people love exercise. Some people just like being on their own, reading a book. Other people like to take up hobbies or fishing or these sorts of things. Or Everyone's different, so just what works for you. And certainly uh, for me, uh, I like spending time in the veggie garden at, uh, at home. And, uh, and this is... Uh, the barbecuing is obviously another major outlet that I, I really like to do and it works for me. It focuses your thinking on something other than um, what you fav- what here in this job uh, is a very full-on sort of role. Thinking about something other than work is important and that's the way that I do that. But, it's uh, you know, everyone's different and what works for some doesn't work for others. Absolutely. Now, Graham, a very serious question, but this is one that's really just maybe um, a bit of a selfish one for me. My dad listens to all of my podcasts. Hi, Dad. Um, Dad has a bit of a problem. And he tends to, particularly around Christmas times, he's the one that always takes charge of the Barbie. And he manages to always be able to cremate everything on the outside while everything's raw on the inside. So if I can take this opportunity while I have you here, if you have a bit of a tip for my dad, Graham, how how can we elevate him from um, being a really poor barbecuer to even just an adequate one at Christmas time? Yeah, my advice to you, Dad, is uh, what's your dad's name? A bit before Ted. Sorry, Ted. 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 My advice would be to get rid of the gas, mate. Get a get yourself a little Weber, and use some coals, and uh, generate a lower heat, and cook them uh, 
slowly and then turn up the heat right at the end to get your sear on the outside of the snags. But you do a much better job on a lower heat with then blasting it at the end rather there than blasting it from the word go, and that'll produce a nice, nice, tasty meal at the end of it rather than uh, a, a plate of charcoal. There we go, Teddy. You've been told, and by no other than the Chief Commissioner of Victoria Police. So there you go. It's you don't have to have it blaring from the start, Dad. We've told you every year, but anyway. That, that's aside. So thank you very much, Graham Ashton. Um, now, look, there's actually a seriously serious message in all of this. Back in November of 2017, you actually announced that you were taking a six-week break, having become mentally and physically exhausted. Now, you could have just taken some annual leave. You could have quietly just slipped away and taken leave like all of us do. Why was it really important for you to be so open about the fact that you were actually taking some time out to, as you said, recalibrate? Uh, well, I, I wanted to be honest with uh, my workforce because uh, I'd had been for uh, the previous uh, two and a half years going around telling everyone that uh, mental health is a priority and they've got to, if we're going to deal with the issue, particularly around the stigma uh, associated with speaking up and getting help, uh, we, we had to acknowledge, um, we had to encourage people to uh, acknowledge issues and seek help. So having talked around and the organisation and encouraged everyone and exhorted everyone to do that. I thought it would have been hypocritical for me not to do it because suddenly I was dealing with a real sort of burnout and, uh, yeah, I was really uh, just at the end of uh, both ends of the candle and needed to take some time to uh, to recalibrate my life, really, about how I was uh, managing myself to get healthy. And uh, so I thought, well, there's no point being hypocritical, I need to speak up and say it, and maybe that might do some good um, for the workforce as well. If they see, well, if the person in the chief commissioner role uh, is willing to speak up about an issue he's dealing with, maybe I can too. And so that was really what sat behind it, and uh, uh, I think it's it's helped. I think I've had a lot of, well, I know I've had a lot of um, messages and conversations, emails and the like, uh, people that said that it helped to make a difference to them, and that... Uh, that lift certainly has lifted my uh, my spirits on many occasions when I've been told that. And that's certainly the feedback that I've that I've received as well. Whenever I've spoken to anybody within Victoria Police and policing and even emergency services more generally throughout Australia, is that that was certainly the reflection that I um, get when they talk about you, is that you lead from the front and you lead by example. And it's certainly very similar to, I think, the experiences with Tony Walker from Ambulance Victoria, is that you lead by example. And if you're willing to get out there in front of people and talk about it honestly and say, hey, I've dealt with it, this is my experience, then people who work for you as well are going to be more likely to open up as well because, hey, if the boss is likely to experience it and happy to talk about it as well, then it makes people more comfortable to talk about it themselves yeah. as well. And I was, so. someone, I was someone that, uh, you know, felt very resilient too. I'd never had any issues with my resilience and ability to deal with situations at all in my professional life leading up to that point really and... Uh, so, you know, it was a real sort of shock to my system that suddenly I wasn't coping, I wasn't dealing with things. So um, in terms of being able to speak from uh, experience, and as you mentioned, Tony's uh, really good at talking about these issues as well um, in the ambulance sector. Uh, but certainly, uh, having gone through that, I do feel that I can have a more meaningful conversation with uh, people that are going through it as well uh, now or have gone through it in the past. Mm. So, Graham, for listeners who might not be as familiar with your journey, how long have you been wearing the police uniform in various different variations? 
Uh, well, I've been in uh, law enforcement, I guess, uh, for 40 years this year, so um, since I was 18, and uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, which will be one of the weird things about retiring is, uh, I'll, you know, I've had a, a job in uh, law enforcement of some sort for consistently since I was 18, so it will be a shock to the system, uh, no doubt about that. Yeah, so that's, that's a long time, it's a lifetime, 40 years, that's a lifetime, so when you think about going home on that last day and taking that uniform off for the last time, do you think you're mentally prepared for that? Um, hard to say. I hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, look, it's a busy job and then certainly I'll, you know, when, when the phone's not suddenly ringing or anymore and the text messages aren't coming and emails, etc., and uh, the alerts aren't coming through all the time, um, yeah, it'll it'll be a... A bit of a shock. I'll think that the phone's broken or something. I'm sure, and then realise it's not. Um, so there's that side of it that certainly is going from uh, 100k an hour to zeros like uh, overnight is uh, is a bit of a change. Um, but I think at the same time I am ready for the next stage uh, in life. And uh, I, I know I'll miss uh, people um, as you do. Because um, there's a lot of a lot of really good people around here, and I'll, I will miss them. Uh, I think there's no doubt about that. But um, I, th- I think, in terms of, uh, I, th- I try to think very positively about sort of what's next in life. Because you know, you only get one one go at life. So uh, I am sort of looking forward to embracing new challenges, whatever that might be. How well do you think the emergency services do? And I mean, you can obviously reflect quite closely on Victoria Police, but I'm thinking just in general here. Um, how well do you think the emergency services do in looking after their personnel once they retire? Well, my candid view is that I think we used to be uh, terrible at it and uh, I've heard many examples where um, that's been the case and uh, that's something that we've been passionate about turning around and I know we have made a lot of ground in that area but there's still a long way to go. Uh, certainly in the policing context, um, which is obviously the area I'm more familiar with, uh, you know, we really want to try to bring the term uh, veteran to uh, the conversation with our past serving members so that um, they start to embrace a term that is more valued than X or former mm. or past. Um, and those terms, that, those sort of phrases that have a, a negative context to them where we really want to value we want to value the service that people have provided after they've served. And as part of that, we want to acknowledge that we've got a duty of care to them. Yes. And so we have done a, done a lot in investing in providing uh, services to uh, veteran police officers in the policing context uh, because uh, we see that as so important. And we've broken a lot of people over the years, a lot of people dealing with really big issues as a result of their policing service. And... We've still got a, a duty to try and support them, and now we do have resources dedicated to supporting them. Uh, and we've got a, we've started an organisation focused on veteran support as well and veteran welfare. Um, so we are doing more now than we've ever done to try and turn that around. But still, still much more to do though. What about their family members, Graham? So I understand that while um, police officers are still actively part of the force, that their family members get access to support. Uh, do they get access to that sort of support ongoing once they've retired? Uh, yes, well, they do uh, do now uh, if they if they can um, 
uh, like we've we've got uh, resources internally dedicated to that, and certainly um, we've got an external facing um, uh, you know services, for example, through our external facing website that um, that uh, veterans can can go to, and it's also to address uh, issues in veterans' families and for veterans' families to understand the sort of issues that um, their their loved one might be going through. Um, so we certainly uh, acknowledge um, families are so critical in that regard mm. and you hear it, uh, it even within the serving members from the time they're at recruit course, you know, you talk to family members and they um, they straight away want to know how they can help um, their loved one and what, what sort of resources would be available to educate them as to what their loved one's going through. Yeah. It's very common yeah. for uh, members not to talk about issues and bottle them up when they go home. So often they don't know, they just know something's different and the family members and they don't know what it is. So um, those skills are really important around uh, how you approach these topics and how you provide that support and how you can feel more comfortable doing that. Uh, One of the things that really stood out for me throughout the bushfire crisis was when uh, Shane Fitzsimmons, when he was still with the RFS, was um, being interviewed on TV and got quite emotional in one of the interviews and highlighted that he couldn't have got through that crisis without the support of his family. And it really struck for me, and again, it was one of those times when I love it when leaders are like really um, transparent and honest and and just show how being in leadership positions can really um, be difficult. And I'm just wondering how, you know, particularly recently Victoria Police have been through an incredibly difficult um, time when you lost tragically four of those police officers that you had under your care and I'm sure you went home that evening and were absolutely distraught. And I'm wondering how you lean on your family and how your job impacts your family over the years. Yeah, I've sort of um, tried to, uh, as a lot of police do, to sort of insulate them a bit from everything. So, um, But to do that, I've had to sort of try and find other outlets through which I can talk about things sometimes, and I've managed to do that. Um, so I've sort of taken the path of um, trying to insulate them as much as possible. Um, they... Uh, you know, they sometimes know, they'll, they'll know from the news and things if I've had a, a tough day sometimes. So they know, uh, you know, and they are supportive when that happens. And uh, but I've sort of never, um, never really talk about work at home. Like if I go home, you know, I, I never really bring work issues home and uh, in terms of conversationally. And so... Um, I'm aware that it's it's good for them, but it's not good for me sometimes. Yeah. So I need to make sure that I do have a way uh, of getting that out. And so, you know, there's a couple of people that I have a coffee with or talk to and um, as a way of um, if I need to talk about that stuff, I can. Um, so I can still get that sort of not deal, not have to bottle stuff up, but still um, have a way of trying to make sure my family have as normal life as they can without me um, piling things onto them. Is that something you've had to learn to do over the years? I know even in my line of work in doing a lot of work and research with 9-11 responders over a 15-year period and towards the start I would come home and just inadvertently talk about things with my husband and you could see by the look on his face sometimes that he didn't need to hear some of the things that I would relay and I'd realise probably too late that I'd vicariously traumatised him and I've now learnt to talk about things that I needed to get off my chest with 
my psychiatrist instead of talking about it with my husband. And so I learned that the hard way. So I'm wondering, yeah, is that something you maybe learnt over time? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, look, sometimes, you know, you might end up being a bit grumpy or something at home. You know, one of the girls, uh, my daughters or something, it might <clears throat> be doing something that might ordinarily go through the keeper, but then I might be grumpy and snap about it, you know, just sort of verbally uh, be more grumpy than um, I might otherwise be. And sometimes I notice that um, mm. if I've had a hard day or something and I need to. And I, but um, So sometimes I say to them, look, if I'm a bit grumpy, tell me because I need to uh, snap out of that um, and and, uh, and be self-aware of what I'm doing. And then, as you say, use another outlet mm. um, to express that frustration or whatever. I think that's... Um, it's a process that that is always a work in progress, and uh, I don't think anyone was perfect at that. It's um, uh, it's it's a matter of growing as as you become more self aware in your life and uh, understanding what works for you, what doesn't work in your life, and uh, the more self aware you can be, the better in that in that regard to try and avoid that. But I have noticed, you know, there's occasions when that happens, and uh, a bit like that sort of example that that you've conveyed. Um, you know, that you don't want to be traumatising other people by what you've gone through on an, at any particular time. So uh, it's all about trying to care for those around you while you're trying to care for yourself. Yeah. Well, as you said, like 40 years, that's a long time to be in a career. When you reflect back on that and everything that you've been through with a particular focus on how much you've done to remove stigma attached to where, uh, particularly when we talk about mental health and really to normalise those conversations that we have around mental health and wellbeing. Is there anything that really stands out for you in terms of when you think back on that, you think, oh, I might have done that differently if I had another chance at it or maybe I would have done it sooner or approached it differently? Well, there's lots of examples where um, in any police career, of any length where uh, you'll look back and after something's happened and question whether if things had been done differently, something could have been avoided um, in terms of community harm. Every police officer, I think, asks themselves that question post something happening. And uh, in, the, in that context, it can be uh, a career sort of uh, filled with regrets in some ways. But um, I think that uh, within the mental health context, um, I, I sometimes wish that I had started to lobby for change earlier than I did. I sort of um, I felt that uh, I really wanted to make changes when I'd become Chief Commissioner of Victoria Police and get these issues out from under the carpet and uh, in the corridors uh, into open conversation and part of uh, an open dialogue about mental health and the force to try and deal with the stigma issues um, and try and put some processes and commitment to resourcing in place. But, um, you know, looking back now, I said, well, I said, well, why didn't I do that when I was a Deputy Commissioner or Assistant Commissioner? I still had a lot of influence. Why did I wait until I was the Chief Commissioner? You know, I could have uh, I could have lobbied much earlier um, than I did, really, uh, when I look back. Um, and uh, I thought, well, I'll... When I'm Chief Commissioner, I'll, I'll be able to do this and that and this and that. But when thinking about it now, looking back, I thought, well, I could have put pressure on earlier for other people to pick up the mantle and run with it as well. So, yeah, and, and I think sometimes in the mental health context, you know, we all know 
uh, anyone who's been in, in the emergency services for any length of time will, will know people that have um, whose mental health has deteriorated at the point where they've uh, taken their lives and uh, I've had uh, examples of that where I've had uh, friends that have um, done that and, you know, you always have that regret about, gee, why didn't I pick up the signs that something was that wrong and they were struggling to that extent? Why didn't I... Why wasn't I perceptive enough to notice that, particularly when you'd had very recent contact with them? And, you know, and they were, in my case, these people would sort of be asking about me and how I was going, and I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, pick up that they were struggling. So there's those sorts of, uh, in the mental health context, there's sort of those sorts of regrets, I think, and, and um, thinking that you could have done better. Yeah. But I think it's interesting because we... Obviously, here in Australia, we, we look inwardly and we think, yes, there's unacceptable suicide rates. We, we still have those statistics that we probably think are just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the reported statistics of one suicide every six weeks of, of a paramedic, a police officer and a firefighter. Um, we've had the 2018 Senate inquiry into the mental health of the people behind triple zero. We've had the, the Big Beyond Blue national survey of some 21,000 emergency service personnel. I think we're getting pretty good at identifying what some of the problems are. But when you talk to people out there in the field, they're like, but we still haven't really seen significant change yet. And I'm wondering what your reflections are on what we actually need to do at the ground roots to really see that change come into play. Look, I think that we probably need the the next stage. I know we're all moving at different rates uh, in that regard, but, you know, we've got to make sure we've we've um, got the ability to respond uh, uh, in a professional and uh, healing way when something occurs by way of a mental health injury uh, or there's a traumatic event that could precipitate injury. Um, That's the sort of thing we need to make sure we're we're well-resourced in and... Of course, we do have to do a lot, as we've talked about, about stigma and uh, when we're all trying to be the ones that cope in first response and then you can't cope, that's uh, counterintuitive and you don't want to seek help or acknowledge that you're struggling in that context because it's counter to the culture. So there's the stigma piece as well. Mm. Um, But I think probably to to move into that next stage around prevention, it really has to be, um, I think, us... um, you know, committing towards compulsory conversations, you know, um, you know, every, like one thing I'd like to get to in Vic Poll over time, you know, it's the end of my time here, but I'd like to continue to build the resourcing so that we have every six months you know, mandatory check-in um, in, in that site conversation and welfare site conversation to say even when you're travelling well, check-in, how's, how are you travelling, uh, what's your toolbox look like in terms of your resilience uh how self-aware are you of that of that piece and uh and for a constructive conversation to occur in a very preventative context and that's the next piece and i think on the ground once you start to require that uh it'll start to become more second nature and i think that um we can get to that sort of stage and i think we'll be we'll be able to sort of um think very positively about um, the difference we're making. I know in our data at VicPol, uh, we're seeing a difference. Uh, we're seeing a benefit in people speaking up. We had, uh, at one point, it was, uh, you know, when we initially started to turn it around, and we turned around big in terms of 
people reaching out. We had a 70, 80% increase in people contacting um, our, our welfare services. So, um, it, you know, we're, we're just starting to get that, but I think in terms of the real cultural change and the feel of that on the ground, I think once we start to institute a really solid prevention piece, I think that's when it'll start. they'll start to feel it. Well, I'm, I'm really excited about some of the things that you said there, a couple of the words that really stood out for me were checking in and prevention and that's certainly some of the things that I tend to talk about is that for so long a lot of our well-being models have really relied on people who are in crisis reaching out and we know that when people are in a deep dark place they know they won't reach out for help they often can't and I know for myself when I've been struggling sometimes it's even hard to pick up the phone to a loved one let alone to a stranger at the end of a, an EAP for example so I think um, I've been talking for quite a while now about needing well-being models that actively reach into people and I really love the fact that you're thinking along the lines of having some kind of model that actively reaches into people even when they're thinking they're well and establishing some kind of rapport with their well-being team so that when they are in crisis, they're much more comfortable to reach out. And so I think that's a fantastic model to, to follow up. So um, look, we're coming towards the end of our podcast. I could talk to you for, for ages, but I'm very cognizant of, of time. Look, you are certainly leaving some pretty big shoes to fill. So I'm really interested to hear what advice you would give to the new Victoria Police Chief Commissioner who will be coming in, Shane Patton, when it comes to protecting his mental health and well-being. So if you could give him some advice about looking after himself in the top role um, in terms of lessons learned from you being in that role, what would you share with him? Uh, well, I've been very uh, open about um, about what I do within my team here, and we've had a, a really one thing I have been uh, fortunate in the last five years is to have a really solid, uh, solid, committed, loyal team around me here as part of our executive command, and uh, not something that Big Pol has always enjoyed. And uh, I'm very happy that uh, I've had the benefit of that, and Shane's been a member of that team all the way through so I've been very open about all this with him he knows uh, every step of the way as far as what I do and uh, he's quite a self-aware guy too in terms of understanding what works for him and I think that um, he's got his uh, you know things work differently for him than me in terms of what he does Um, you know he's sort of the physical exercise is really important to Shane and uh, for example uh, and there's other things as well that he does already that uh, built his resilience um so i I think he's pretty well placed i think he's uh he's a a clever guy he's uh someone that um uh can be uh, a firm decision maker but but compassionate in the same measure and i think that will stand him in good stead in a role like this where you very often have to uh uh, you know, um, manage with your head but lead with your heart and uh, he can he's the sort of person that uh, I think uh, displays the ability to do that. Um, so I think he has um, the right ingredients. I mean, you can never know till you do these jobs uh, what they're like and uh, he'll have that learning curve, of course, but uh, I think he's well-placed to deal with it and I think he'll do a great job as the Chief Commissioner. Fantastic. Well, one final question. So our listeners, our, our members within Code 9, we have thousands and thousands uh, coming from the different 
emergency services, so paramedics, firefighters, police officers. We have people from Esther, you know, triple zero operators, dispatchers, call takers, and then actually a growing um, membership coming from the families, so the partners and carers and uh, even children of the first responders. So we have a really broad uh, listener base um, with these podcasts. So one final reflection to the broad listenership uh, coming from your years and years of experience and what you've learned with your own mental health as well. So any final reflections in terms of, of looking after mental health and particularly knowing that a large proportion of our listeners are dealing with PTSD, they're living with PTSD and mental health conditions, their partners who are trying to care for their ill health retired first responders. You know, any words of wisdom, any parting advice for them in terms of uh, what you've learnt in terms of mental health and, and moving forward in terms of protecting mental health? Uh, look, probably, uh, you know, within the context that you've just described, uh, it, would just, it would probably be to say, look, the community uh, acknowledges how difficult this work is that first responders of all varieties do. They, they understand the broader families, your mums and dads, you out there, in the community, they, they do understand and they appreciate the work that you do. And for families, they appreciate the fact that the families of those first responders support and make that possible. They understand it's hard work. And so you need to understand um, as a first responder that it's hard work and not be hard on yourself. Uh, and the fact that uh, it's okay to struggle, uh, it, it's normal and that um, there is a better place to get to no matter how injured you might feel there is a better place to get to uh, but you'll only get there with support and the uh, you know society is uh, littered with a lot of examples of people who haven't been able to successfully make that journey to wellness because they tried to do it on their own there's a lot of people who do want to help there's a lot of people committed to help if you seek it if you talk about it, if you share it, um, then it's the best. It's the best way to get to a better place. And I've seen plenty of people get to that better place. And uh, it's certainly it's there, and it's there if you're willing to get the right support and care around you to do it. And I think that uh, to acknowledge that that's okay. You know, it's it's tough work. It's okay to struggle when you do it. Um, there's, there's few parts of society that have to do as difficult work as you all do so um it's a it's okay to struggle in that context because uh, anyone would so um you're not alone uh, do your best to get the support around you because there's a lot of people out there who will acknowledge and are ready and willing to support you well some very wise words indeed and you said that the community appreciates the work that our first responders do on behalf of the code 9 foundation we certainly appreciate the hard work that you have done it's been a significant contribution that you have made to the community over some 40 years we certainly hope that it's a smooth transition into retirement for you and that there are many barbecues in your future. We wish every success to you and your family in your retirement, Graham. Thank you so much for your time today. That's a pleasure, Aaron, and take care.